Hello, everyone listening, and uh, welcome to Jared and Jared's Supermax show, a fantasy basketball podcast that is primarily focused on salary cap leagues. So using real salaries for real players, uh, no matter what kind of fantasy you play. Uh, my name is Jared Russo. I am one of the co-hosts and creators of this show. And I'm doing this intro uh, alone because I I have a gut feeling that this is going to be the first time a lot of people listen to this show. So we wanted to do a sort of reintroduction um, where we're going to explain the gist, the inside jokes, the people you might be hearing from, and uh, what the plan is for the next six months or so. Uh, the fantasy basketball season is ending because the real NBA is going into the real playoffs, so fantasy playoffs are done. Uh, this is going to go up late March, early April. And essentially what that means is it's going to be like six straight months where like there's no reason to talk about fantasy basketball whatsoever um, in a very limited capacity. You probably already know who won your league and you probably already know where you're drafting or uh, you know, I mean, there's going to be a, like a giant list in the summer, I'm sure, of like notable free agents and, and rankings and whatnot. So what what I'm going to try to do and attempt to do, uh, and my, my co-host, who's also his first name is Jared, and his middle name is Ross, his last name is King. So it's very confusing because we're both Jared R's. Um, he's going to be, he's moving, so he'll be back next week. Um, we're going to sprinkle out, I think, one episode per month, April, May, June, July, um, August, and then we'll start ramping up September, October. Um, we're going to try to do like a ultimate tier list, an ultimate ranking of the best players for f- salary cap leagues uh, in the order of like you take them first overall because they're the most production per, per dollar, like they're just the best value going down. I'm not sure we're going to get to 150 names, but we'll get through at least 120, I would imagine. Um, so we'll try to do a 10-team league mock-up or something, and we'll, we have this sort of master document that we're slowly working on with next year's numbers, who's a free agent, um, restricted, unrestricted, you know, team option, player option, and how old they are, and if they're going, going into a contract year uh, in the same way that this season, the sort of breakout was Miles Bridges. Uh, going into a contract year, um, he was paid dirt cheap and put up insane value. Uh, so we're going to try to find the next Miles Bridges, like the next guy who breaks out. So, yes, as, as cars are honking outside of my window, I'm in New York City. Um, and I'm notably near an intersection with a lot, of, a lot of trucks, a lot of cars. It's very annoying. Um, so basically we started this, this salary cap league. I want to say 2010, 09, 10, um, back when I was in college, uh, I met most of the my basketball fanatical friends in college, and we read this article from Bill Simmons uh, when he wrote for Grantland about um, he was in, there was a basketball league he had heard of from his friends where Kobe Bryant was on the waiver wire, and he was like stunned, but it was like he was being paid too much, and you couldn't pick him up. So we tried it, and we loved it, and we've been doing it ever since, where we manually input into Google Sheets a sort of NBA salary Bible of every player and what they're being paid, and we came up with, like, an algorithm to figure out, like, what their what their point per million was, like, how many points are they putting up, fantasy points, um, per million dollars they're being paid to aggregate, like, just, just to suss out, like, what their value is overall. And uh, we've been doing different formats, but essentially... This league that we've been in for so long um, is is not only a part of my life, but now I'm I'm injecting that into sports ethos. Uh, I think we're going to end up doing something with the premium where those rankings will go up, um, but the podcast will remain free and hopefully hiccup for you. There was some technical issue last week where like the first seven minutes of the podcast went up, and then we had to try to on social media like put the link out of like you can listen to the whole episode it was only a half hour long it wasn't even our best episode but we're gonna try to be better about that going forward uh we typically record on sundays and post on monday sometimes it's a monday tuesday kind of thing but um but yeah we uh it's a it's a it's a crazy way of doing it because you you have to be really invested but it it just feels better 
to maneuver your team and your cap like an actual GM would. It makes you actually feel like a GM, apart from just like an owner who just picks up, you know, guys off of a draft just based on their shooting percentages, which always just kind of felt crummy. Um, well, maybe not crummy is not the right word, but there's something scummy about it. But um, yeah, trade trading is hard in the league, and it's 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 a real scene. It's it's wild. So I have won once, and I've come in second a few times. Um, in the next segment, you're going to listen to my professor, Professor John. We met because he taught a course I took <laughs> in undergrad um, to me and, and my co-host Jared Ross King, and um, he's won it a few times. And him, him and my co-host are like neck and neck for one and two this year. So um, there's been a lot of discussion about how, how trying to win. We will in, undoubtedly talk about that with Professor John coming up. I actually don't know what the topic is going to be. He has some some things on his mind. I'm sure he'll want to go over some stuff. And then yeah, as the summer rolls on, there'll be much fewer episodes. Uh, but we'll slowly sort of whittle down the list of the best players. I feel like there isn't a like a clear-cut one, two, three like there has been for the last several years. Basically, since Luca was a rookie, it's been really easy to like, oh, Luca and Trey, they're just like, they're the best. Just take them. They're dirt cheap, and they put up insane top 15, top 20 production in Zion. Um, and that's done. That's over. You can't take those guys early because they're getting paid 30-plus million dollars. So it's actually really hard this year. I think I've, this is the hardest I've ever thought about it. This is probably the toughest, like, in my head, like, figuring out, like, who the top ten would be because there really isn't, like, a, oh, that rookie's just going to put up, like, you know, 30, 30 fantasy points a game on average. Like, I just I don't feel like there's any young guys doing that. All those guys are now on their second deals, and... I think most superstars are now being paid too much of their team's cap, so it's not worth it to to draft and own a Steph Curry season long. Like you're gonna end up dropping those dudes, like a Durant or Harden or a LeBron. They just get paid too much. So it's really tough figuring out for the next six months, you know, where my team went wrong and maybe where your team went wrong because I made a lot of really dumb decisions. That that, that whole draft, we're gonna look back and and think, boy, what a what a wacky way we all drafted. Um, a lot of stupid mistakes, but um, starting with Michael Porter Jr., but, I mean, who saw that coming? But that's also the last year of his rookie deal, so he's also not an early pick. I mean, I don't think he'll ever be an early pick because of the injuries. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tough figuring that out. So we're going to spend the summer at least one, one episode per month um, kind of going through the rounds because right now it's, it's really hard figuring out if – someone with the number one or two overall pick should go with a, a Giannis or a Jokic because they just put up the most stats, but you are going to pay them, pay a premium. But they're not, like, killer. They're not, like, you're not paying them, like, 40-plus million dollars a year. Or if you go with, like, a DeJounte Murray, LaMelo Ball, John Morant, Tyrese Maxey, like, that's kind of, like, what the top 10, like, that's what the first round's kind of looking like. But... It's 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 tough because I'm not quite sure how much further higher their ceilings are those players or like what the injuries are going to look like because everyone's been banged up. It just it is so hard to suss out. So uh, look forward to that. Look forward to more noises of airplanes and trucks and honking and motorcycles in the background uh, along the Harlem River where I live. And uh, yeah, coming up next is uh, our segment with P- Professor John. Uh, Long-time friend, long-time mentor, one of the winningest people in my league, and uh, hopefully we will uh, get some some good advice. You will learn something. So thank you for listening. Like and subscribe. Do all that fun stuff, and go to Sports Ethos, formerly Hoopball, where I first learned about it, and uh, check out all their other cool stuff. Uh, so thank you for listening, and let's go on with the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are now in segment two, and uh, as you've just heard me tease, I'm here with Professor John, a uh, the longest tenured guest, the most appearances, uh, lifetime on this short podcast. Hello, Professor John. Hello. How are you? 
eh, I'm doing eh, but that's not important. What's important is that uh, we're closing out the season uh, with, I want to say this and maybe two more episodes. And then as the listeners have just heard, but you have not, I'm going to drop some big news on you. Are you ready? Go for it. Excellent. I was waiting for like a drum roll, like a drum roll. So the great Dan oh. Bespris has, uh, has, has asked me if I wanted to do a sort of B-150 for salary cap leagues. Uh, B-150 is an Aaron Bruski 150, which is a sort of master ranking in the summer of the best players in order with some extra numbers attached, like their age, if they're in a contract year, things of that nature. Uh, and so gotcha. throughout the summer, uh, me and, and co-host Jared Ross King, who is moving, we are going to once a month try to put together like a round by round, like what we think the master list should be for the 2022-2023 season. And I have secretly already begun work on this. So not only is the salary sheet basically ready to go for next year, but I've already have some sort of initial gut reactions of where people might be falling. Gotcha. Cool. How cool. do you feel about all this? And I think that, uh, I mean, I think that's pretty cool for your podcast that you've been asked to do that. I mean, I think they must think that y'all know something of what you're talking about, about salary cap fantasy. We surely don't, but that's all right. <laughs> and, uh, no, I think, uh, no, I think that, I think that also will be a really good resource because hopefully the many, many listeners of this podcast, any of them who weren't already doing salary cap fantasy have become true converts to the cause of salary cap fantasy NBA. So, and then don't, and then don't need resources like a, a top one fifty. Yeah. Uh, again, I might be like a one twenty. I don't think it's going to be like a whole one fifty, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm not going to lie. The hardest. Like I always do these sort of like shadow Bible, like my own individual rankings. And this is the first time I'm going to be doing a public one so that everyone I'm competing against will have that list to work against me, which is what um, a lot of people who work at Hoopball do. They like put out guides for people. And then when they go to their own personal leagues, they're the, the other people are using their guides against them. <laughs> I have never in, in looking at like next year's, like who's going to go first list. I've never had a harder time coming up with not only a top 10, but like a top three. Like I legitimately don't know who's going to go at the top of the order when we draft come October or September, depending on how many people are in our league, simply because there is no more Luca rookie deal. There's no more Trey young rookie deal. Zion has been thoroughly kaput as a first round selection because of its injury past. There is no no brainer rookie from this year and next year, that's going to be putting up that kind of production on that kind of salary. I, I mean, legitimately don't know who's going to go. I think it may be Ja. He's same class as Zion and he's been performing. He does have a checkered injury history himself. Like he misses time every year, but not Zion level time. He, you know, he misses, he misses what a lot of stars. And he's still going to, that'll be the last year of his rookie deal. He's clearly the centerpiece of that team. I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I would have to look deeper, but just off the top of my head, I mean, that seems to be the best combination of a no-brainer that guy can play um, or, you know, maybe maybe somebody like Lamelo, you know, but I think John Lamelo uh, will, they'll both still be on their rookie contracts for at least one more year. And they're the centerpiece of their team in terms of driving their offenses. So um, I, I think those are probably in your top, you know, they're certainly going to be like top three to five options if you decide to go the cheap route. There's an argument to put Jokic up there because he just keeps producing. And he's, you know, for the level of production he puts up, he's still on a reasonable deal. Okay. You just, you just nailed the, 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 the trap in my brain, the, the steel 
spring. You hit the head, the nail that activates the trap. <laughs> looking at not just average per game, but looking at total points accumulated because we are now in a league where the total points that your team scores is the ranking of the owners, the players. John Morant is like not in the top 20, like top scorers, like for fantasy production. Right. And he misses too, he misses too much time. And LaMelo is not in like that upper echelon for average. And so you're right in that if you want to go cheap, those are probably the first two names. But I'm honestly looking at how, how insanely far above number two, number one is with Jokic in terms of like, just like if you just need an engine that just like night in, night out, like scores you points, like he's, he scored 400 more fantasy points than Giannis, who's at number two. Yeah. I will say the one thing with him, that next year is going, I think, I think there could be a slight letdown. I don't think it's going to be a huge letdown as long as he stays healthy because he's still the straw that stirs the drink in Denver. He's still just, you know, stuffs the stat sheet. He's not even a defensive liability anymore. He doesn't necessarily put up huge defensive numbers, but he's not even defensive liability. So you don't even have to worry about like, you know, he's not coming off the floor either, but Jamal Murray, supposedly, people think is going to be healthy enough to maybe even come back this year for the playoffs. Um, Maybe not, but Michael Porter might even be back in the regular season. And I don't know exactly how much that's going to affect Jokic's usage. I think he's still the centerpiece. Um, But frankly, I mean, even even if it affects his usage, he might be able to make up for that in efficiency because he'll have other people on the floor that defenses have to account for. So, yeah, I mean, maybe I I haven't looked at any salaries beyond this year, so I don't know exactly how much he jumps up, but he was something at like 29 this year or, you know, 29, 31, somewhere in there. So if he's right right around 30 and scoring 400 more points than Giannis, who is at like 39 going into the forties, that's really good. I mean, it's not good value. Like, Luca on a rookie deal, good value, but it's still pretty good value. Um, and I can I can totally see a case for Jokic going one overall uh, in fantasy salary drafts next year. I mean, fantasy really fantasy any drafts next year, but especially fantasy salary drafts, given that um, to get his level of production from almost anybody else, you're talking about high 30s, low 40s. Nikola Jokic makes $33 million next year. Yeah, that's still – you're probably talking about $10 million more uh, to get his level of production from anybody else. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is also $33 million next year. Jason Tatum is 30 Those are top five producers. And then Giannis jumps to 42 and a half. But I still think he's the only guy in the 40s you pay. I don't think it's Durant or Curry or LeBron or anyone or Jimmy Butler. Um I'm not going to lie to you looking at some of these, these season long, like the final totals basically with like two weeks left, give or take. I'm really stunned that like, I'm looking at, I'm like, wow, Tyrese Halliburton. He's right around Kevin Durant. And then you look and like Kevin Durant obviously missed a ton of time and averaged like way more, but there's like a huge gap between him and Donovan Mitchell and like Westbrook and, and Pascal Siakam, like those dudes so like Tyrese Halliburton might look appealing as a first rounder, but he there's still a gap between him and like legit performers, like a top 15 yeah. fantasy performer. And then I look and I'm like, wow, like Julius Randall again, like he's been crushing it because he plays every game more than a Harden or a Booker or Gobert. And then I'm like, wow, but even Miles Bridges is doing better. And then I realize that Miles Bridges is getting paid obscene amounts of money this summer. So it, it just confuses me looking at this list. I'm like, like Trey's up there, but he's getting paid in the thirties. So maybe he's not a first round no brainer. And honestly, I think the number one pick next year might be DeJounte Murray. And I'm whispering that into a microphone because he only makes $16 million. Yeah. I mean, I will say as somebody who made a first round pick for somebody who's 
miss more time than I would have liked, but somebody who has put up a lot of fantasy points and is in that second contract before they're a megastar that I feel like, you know, as NBA salaries explode at the top end for people who are no brainer franchise players, those folks who get on that second contract and they're productive, um, but they are not, you know, superstars that provide some really good value in the salary cap fantasy world. Like, and I, and I'm referencing on my own team, Damana Sabonis, who is supposedly at least for one more year, right around that $20 million mark. That is correct. Um, um, and right now he's putting up numbers comparable in terms of average and season long fantasy to Steph Curry and Vucevic and, and, and Luca. Like that's like where he is like, right. Like near so, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron, like it's like, so he's again, he's going to be a great pick next year, but I just don't think there's a clear cut number one other than maybe Jokic or DeJounte Murray. But like even then, like it's still debatable. Yeah. And I, and I, I brought up Sabonis not even because specifically he should be a first rounder, but because he's, um, but because he's comparable in that to DeJounte Murray, who is, He's on that second contract. He produces. He really, you know, ramped up his production uh, this year. But he is not on some like thirty million dollar deal the way that you know somebody who produced at his levels from the beginning of his first contract would be. We have a special guest appearance by. Uh... Professor John's children. That's all right. I'll fill in. Um, yeah, looking looking at the into the future, we're going to break this down more over the summer. There are just so many names of people who were just like for years, like blindfolded, like throw a dart. And if you get an SGA, great. Love it. And the SGA is making twenty nine point seven five million next year. You can no longer. I don't. There's really not a lot of guys. You can close your eyes throw a dart and hit and not pay a lot and get like 30 fantasy points on average a game. Like those guys don't exist anymore unless a Tyrese Maxey makes a huge leap or an Anthony Edwards makes a huge leap or Zion comes back and he's, you know, completely healthy. Like the rookies this year and the rookies coming up for 2022-23, I don't think any of them are going to be putting up like that that level of production and i remember when rookies were like not making 9 10 11 12 million on their first or second years like i don't know man it's it's getting it's getting a little murky it's getting a little tougher to suss out who should be going in these early rounds especially since there's a lot of names that are awesome that you're like, well, maybe I will just take Luca and just pay him 35. Maybe I will just take Tatum and pay him 30, like or Carl Anthony Towns. Like, should should higher, more expensive players be going even earlier than they did in our draft when we did it in October? I mean, I think that comes down to I we kind of have an idea of what the cap is going to look like next year. And I believe it's growing. It's not growing like it did that one year, 2016, I think it was, when that enabled. KD to go to the Warriors. Um, but, and so I think part of that is going to depend on, um, you know, those of us who are longer tenured members in this league, I think it's more of an adjustment. It's almost like when your grandparents are like, I remember when a gallon of gas was 15 cents. And you're like, and obviously it's not. What a bad grandma. That's insane. Yes, it's not anymore. And so like, like you and I are like, well, I remember when rookie contracts were and we can't operate that way anymore. Like we've, we've got to kind of account for the fact that no, like, um, you know, if you're a top three pick and that's usually the only picks that you can, you know, count on to be contributors throughout their rookie year. And even sometimes you can't count on that because, you, you know, James Wiseman comes to mind but like this year you know Cade Jalen Green and Evan Mobley have basically been starters all year Jalen Green was a uh I mean 
he's flashed talent, but he has not been a consistent producer. Cade and Evan Mobley have, but like Evan Mobley is close to nine million. I'm sure he'll be in the nines or tens next year. Cade was over 10 this year. So, um, you know, even whoever comes up in the, the next three, which may or may not be a, a great rookie class, uh, like they might be somebody you want on your roster, but there's not somebody you want to spend a first or second round pick on in our league. And that's kind of where I am with like, if anybody drafts Zion in the first or second round with his injury history, like, yeah, bionic Zion would be a really, you know, probably good pick where like, Oh, all of his bones and cartilage and everything has been replaced with high quality synthetics or something like that. Yeah. David Griffin's working on that. He's making, he's going to make Zion the $6 million man. Yeah. He's not going to break down. Well then, yeah, you might want to consider him up there, but until you see that he is that, uh, that durable, like, you know, that's just like malpractice as a fantasy manager to draft Zion that early anymore. Like it almost was this year. He wasn't on my board this year because I didn't trust his health. And I was proven pretty right about that. Dude, if he gets to the bottom of the second round, top of the third, and no one takes him, if you want to risk it for the biscuit, that might pay off. Yeah. And if you're somebody who maybe has had a, uh, checkered drafting history in terms of like just accumulating overall talent. Yeah. Maybe you take a third or a fourth round flyer on him. Uh, Cause he's still going to be on a good deal, but yeah. First or second round, those guys are people you've got to hang your hat on all year long. And the only way they come out is if they're injured and oh, guess what for Zion, you can take it to the bank. He's going to get injured at some point. It's just a matter of how much time is he going to miss. And even if it's not a serious injury, the Pelicans will hold him back longer than they need to, which apparently is like the source of friction between them because he just wants to play. And they're so like, got to put the gloves on and like, it's fine, China. It's like, well, at a certain point, like, if he keeps getting hurt, then get rid of him. Or if he's healthy, play him. Like, I, I don't think they can be precious with him anymore. I think they just got to like, all right, you think you're ready? Go, go out there. Like, go get hurt, you, you dummy. Like, that whole relationship is so weird. But we're not, we're not going to talk about that ad nauseum. Um, I guess we'll, we'll transition into saying that I, putting together this list, I had an even tougher time sort of just ballparking who would go in the second and third rounds. Because um, like you said – I think the rookie who went the highest was Cade. And then it took like another round or two for other rookies to start coming off the board. Yes. Hong Kong truck. Um, (laughs) And it turns out that there were some rookies who are awesome, but you would have no idea. Like no one on earth would have figured that like Scotty Barnes would outplay Jalen Suggs or that Franz Wagner would outplay Jalen green or that Evan Mobley would be incredible. Like, just no one saw any of those things coming. So I, I feel like it's going to be even harder for the rookies this year. Like, could I see a, a Jaden Ivey being like a Cade Cunningham? Sure, I guess if he's on the right team and they, like, kind of give him the, the car keys. Um, I just don't see Chet Holmgren being an Evan Mobley, and I don't see um, Jabari Smith Jr. is his name from Auburn. Right. And Paulo Benchero. Benchero. Right, from Duke. I just don't I just don't see myself taking a second or third round pick on those guys. Yeah. I do before you know we move on from this. You did talk about Tyrese Halliburton. And while you know his overall production is not up at those like you know comparable to those $30 million guys, he is still going to be on one of those seven-figure contracts next year because you know he's only going to be in his third year in Indiana. Um, 4.2 million. Yeah, like that's incredible. That's that incredible. You're going to be able to get Tyrese Halliburton at 4.2 million. No one really knows what's going to happen. Like, are they going to keep Malcolm Brogdon? Um, are they going to start Buddy Field a small forward? Um, like, what are they really going to do? But we do know they gave up and they gave up Sabonis and more to get Halliburton. So he's still going to be featured on that team. And the fact that like he. 
you know, it's a, and it's a Rick Carlisle offense that has, you know, those historically have done well, even though they might not have done as well as they should have with Luca because there was friction between them. But, you know, historically the Rick Carlisle offenses figure out how to put up points. Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a featured player and you can get him for 5 million. And he's, you know, he was consistent and productive in Sacramento. And now he's consistent and productive on a tanking Indiana team. Like the Kings were also secretly tanking the whole time. I just want to let them know they weren't trying to, but they were (laughs) right. I don't think it's called tanking when it's unintentional. (laughs) It's just called losing (laughs) for the the Kings. It is like the thunder have a self-awareness about them that the Kings do not. Right. But it's tanking when it's intentional because like the thunder yes, you know, especially that year where they had CP three, like they had to really try to lose games and they, they could not lose enough games because CP three wouldn't let them and snuck them into the playoffs. Um, so they had to deal them away and deal Gallinari away. Um, so the thunder really have to try to lose games. Sacramento tanks without trying because they, they, or they lose without trying. This so, is the like, dumbest team in the league. I, I actually take back what I said. If, if, a Jabari or a Chet Holmgren ends up in OKC, then I would actually start considering them. Like maybe, maybe I do take the gamble. They turn out to be like incredible if they have if, uh, Josh Giddy there and SGA yeah, they, there. Yeah. Giddy and SGA are going to have to have some type of big to feed you would think. And, you know, Poku is really interesting as a prospect, but eh. you don't, you don't know that he's ever going to truly take the leap. Um, you know, you don't know that, you know, Isaiah Roby can put up a great line when he gets a spot start. And then like two games later, he puts up five fantasy points. So you don't think, I don't think it's Isaiah Roby. Um, they don't really have a center. Um, they have some interesting, you know, powerful Darius Baisley can be good and he can also be, Unproductive, like the, like you said, the only two people you can count on in OKC are Giddy and SGA. Um, as long as they don't have like a hangnail and then get benched down the stretch, they're gonna lob it to Chet Holmgren every play. Um, yeah. so we're talking about seven figure players, which is less than 10 million, right? Right, because six figures would be a hundred thousand, seven figures would be a million. A million. And eight-figure players would be gender. Ten. Okay. So it's funny that we're going to segue into that because you wanted to talk about seven-figure players because putting together this sort of like basically this this next year's preview I've I've been slowly putting together doesn't have a lot of free agents and restricted free agents and stuff um, in it because I don't know how much they're making like a Miles Bridges or a Mitchell Robinson. But it is sort of literally just in the order of like who scored the most, like who was the healthiest, because our league, it's season long, it's not fantasy playoffs, and not that many seven-figure players. Let me just rattle through them, and then we can discuss them, because these are basically the guys I'm about to name are the guys that if you drafted or picked up, you basically, that really helped you win. And this is going to be the case every year. So Tyrese Maxey. Lamella Ball, Halliburton, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Darius Garland, Desmond Bain, Sadiq Bay, Franz Wagner, Keldon Johnson, Tyler Harrow, Josh Giddy, Jordan Poole, Cole Anthony, I guess Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and that's about it. I guess maybe an Isaiah Stewart, but that's further down. Jason Tate, but he's a free agent. Um that's it. That's literally the list of, of seven-figure guys who, if you added to your team at some point, you your odds of winning went up tremendously. Um, I guess Miles Bridges, but I'm, again, he's a restricted free agent. He's getting paid a gazillion dollars. Um, how do you feel about uh, all of those players and the fact that Anthony Edwards narrowly misses that mark because I think he gets paid more than 10? Yeah, he gets paid more than 10 this year, and it sounds like you're reading off next year's list because... Um, more or less. But yeah, because like in this past year, there's a couple other names on there, uh, 
like Wendell Carter Jr. just got extended. He'll be in the like 13 to $15 million range next year. But he was playing at like 6.9 this year. And oh, yeah, good point. I he, have him somewhere on this list, but he was, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. So he was in that like seven ish million dollars this year. And he put up serious production. I mean, basically, he got extended before the year and then spent the whole year proving why he got that extension. Um, so somebody like that, um, Jaron Jackson Jr. got extended, but this past year he just played on a $9.1 million contract and somebody who can hit threes, somebody who can block shots. You know, he's not, he's not as much of a featured centerpiece as jaw is in Memphis, but he is a linchpin of that team. And I mean, if you want to understand how Memphis just, you know, got the number two seat in the West, you just think about you, you named Desmond Bain. John Morant played this year on a seven-figure contract, and Jaron Jackson Jr. just played this year on a seven-figure contract. Those guys have been ridiculously affordable and young talent, coalescing at the right time, plus they have a good coach. And the thing is, is like their most expensive players, who Steven Adams. <laughs> like, no wonder they have done so. I think well. it's literally Steven Adams. <laughs> and he's not even making 20 million. Yeah, and then it's like um, Dylan Brooks at like eleven. Like it's it's yeah. preposterous. Yeah. So so yeah, in this past year, you know, there are people like number one overall picks like Anthony Edwards, Cade Cunningham, who I think Anthony Edwards may have played last year under ten million, but he played this year at ten. Cade was already over ten his rookie year this year. Um, you know, we can we can basic you know Zion who did not play this year, but carried a $10 million tag this year. So that's the last three number one picks, right? All of those guys were over 10 million. We can, we can bank that next year's who, you know, whether it's Jabari or, or Holmgren or, or yeah, Paulo or whoever. Yeah. They're going to be over 10 million. And that's another reason to your point to not take them early. Um, unless they end up someplace like, okay, see, um, but I think, uh, the, one of the names you mentioned that I, when you're talking about these seven-figure players. And, and I have mixed feelings about how he's going to perform next year. But this year, Jordan Poole has been absolutely invaluable because he, like, he's been making like two, three, like 2.3 million or something insanely low like that. And, you know, first part of the year, he's nailing down the Clay Thompson things of the backcourt because Clay obviously was recovering from back-to-back catastrophic injuries and then finally came back. And then he kind of slipped into the background for like a month and I, I think he got dropped in our league and all that type of stuff. Oh, the Splash Brothers are all back. And then Steph gets hurt. And then Jordan Poole pops right back in and just produces the same way. And so, like, hey, if the Splash Brothers stay healthy next year, I don't know how great Jordan Poole does. But to keep them healthy and or, you know, if the Splash Brothers stay healthy is a really big – that if is doing a lot of work as they advance in age and with their, both of their injury histories and – Maybe you can't count on that. And maybe Jordan Poole actually does consistently have this role where he's not always a starter, but he's filling in enough for each of them while they're injured and helping limit their minutes that he gets enough usage and he gets enough run to be as productive. And like I said, like he's not going to be making over five million next next year. What's he making next year if you have that in front of you? Uh that is a terrific question. Let me pop open this uh, secret list. Uh, no, it's 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 close to four. It's three point nine, and um, yeah. he's he's making basically the same as Moses Moody. Kaminga's at five point seven. James Wiseman's at nine point six. The people outside my window partying are loving these numbers. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what that team looks like because of the draft or free agency. Maybe they just keep everyone together. Um, Maybe they get rid of Andrew Wiggins and they replace him with like a third guard. So like, I mean, sitting here right now, we envision that like Jordan Poole is like the, is the linchpin, but like, what if come September, like they get rid of him and Wiggins for like a super, you know what I mean? Like, like we don't quite know what the future is going to hold, but I do get your point. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, unless they are, I'm trying to even think of who that superstar they would be trying to bring in would be. Um, because I also do think as fragile as um, 
Bradley Clay is anymore. I mean, maybe maybe, uh, there's been whispers of Bradley Beal to the Warriors for a while, but I think, you know, if they're trying to get another championship out of the Steph, Clay, and Dre trio, they got to make sure Steph, Clay, and Dre actually make it through the season. And so I I think that's been their mindset why they haven't consolidated and made a big trade so far. Um, I think that's why. And because they need that depth. So I don't know. If I were a betting man like Jared Ross King, I would not bet uh, that Jordan Poole is going to be leaving the Warriors in this offseason and that he might be a pretty good value. Speaking of people who could get dealt and would totally change their value from a stupendous performance this year, Jakob Pertl puts has just been amazing this year on a like an eight point seven five or million dollar deal, and he's something close to that next year. But there was even talk at the trade deadline nine point three. He'll be up to nine point three. Yep. All right, there was even talk at the trade deadline this year that Chicago was going to try to get him to pair him with Vooch, that would have destroyed his fantasy value. Because, like, Vooch can't slide down to power forward and keep up with, you know, fours on the outside. Like, it was going to be Vooch basically in a platoon system with Pirtle. That would have totally destroyed Pirtle's fantasy value. And um, there was talk in a couple different places that he might have been dealt if the Spurs had chosen to. And I don't necessarily see the Spurs dealing him, but that's somebody where, like, maybe they're go- maybe they're going to go big game hunting. They got three first round picks coming up. If you put three first round picks and Pirtle together, maybe you do get somebody. Yeah, him and him and Primo. It's so funny to me that like the Spurs are like this secret, quiet, dark horse team that has like some awesome fantasy players, but they don't win, and they're not like a place for free agents. And I don't remember like they're recent draft picks being awesome, like Lonnie Walker or, or Primo. So like, it's just one of those like unsung, like heroic tales of like Jakob Pertl and, and DeJounte Murray that are like some of the best like fantasy players this season. And it's just like, no one, no one talks about them. Shh, keep it quiet. Yeah. I mean, Murray was one of their draft picks, like from back when they were still making deep playoff runs because he was like a 28th or 29th pick or something like that out of Washington. And Derek White out of Colorado around the same time, obviously he got dealt this year. Um, hey, all this information stuck in your head. How do you like know where these players played from? I don't know how to explain it, dude. Like, um, didn't that, Jordan Poole go to Michigan? Like, for literally 20 minutes, I'm like, where did he go to college? Was that Michigan? Yeah, Him was. and Livers were the two. Okay. Um, and then uh, De- Devin, Va- Devin Vizel and Kelvin Johnson, like, are players who should kind of make a DeJounte Murray type of leap in the coming years, but they haven't. And An course, all-star people- leap? Get out of here. Um. Kel, I mean, Kelton Johnson is an Olympic gold medalist. He's he's there, really good. <laughs> he's he's around three, dude. He's awesome. He's super solid. I'm not quite sure he's going to make an all star leap, but he's he's super good. Devin Vassell, Vassell, I'm not so sold on, but I I mean, who knows if if Pop just stays yeah. there and works these guys into you know all star potential caliber dudes. Yeah. Um. But but your point is well taken. That like. You know, Pirtle and Murray, you know, basically, I think I would say for two or three years, they've had the potential to produce like this. But, you know, they they still had guys like, you know, up until they bought him out last year, LaMarcus Aldridge. They still had uh, until they let him go to Chicago this year, DeMar DeRozan. And they had, you know, Patty Mills, who, you know, is actually on a decent contract now in Brooklyn. But like he was when he was with San Antonio was making like $11 million or something. So obviously they were playing them in front of these younger guys. DeJounte Murray had been coming off a bad injury right when he was originally looking like he was going to take his leap. So, um, you know, Pirtle was blocked by Aldridge. You know, I was not surprised by the leap either of those guys took this year. Um, But I also understand why. P 
people who maybe don't haven't been paying as close attention to the Spurs as I have since they made their two finals runs uh, the in you know 13 and 14 um, would not have seen that coming because there's a lot of other people to you know around the league that you know even when the Spurs were winning five titles they had the most unassuming stars like the the biggest press they got was oh Tony Parker is dating one of the desperate housewives or, and then we got married to her and then got divorced from her. Um, like that was like the biggest like media attention the Spurs got. They just won Tim Duncan, Monty Ginobili. And, you know, and yeah, because they're boring nobody, and they're in Texas. <laughs> and nobody cared about Tony Parker once he wasn't married to a desperate housewife anymore. So but all they did was win and worry about basketball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were going under the radar most years even when they were winning five titles. So it makes sense that now that they're not winning titles anymore, they're, you know, scratching their way into the play in race that no, you mentioned Cole Anthony. I think that's a really fascinating situation that's happening in Orlando. Um, I'm sure, I mean, Jared Ross King, if he were here would say Orlando is always fascinating because that's his team, but um, a lot of young guys, a lot of interesting potential. They, and yeah. They do. Like, I mean, we just we mentioned Wendell Carter Jr. Bamba, um, Bamba's going somewhere. I don't know where he goes, but he's, you know, somebody's going to sign him to an offer sheet or something. Um, also, I think he's got like a twenty-two million dollar cap hold this offseason because he was a top ten pick, and he's about to hit a second contract, and that's just insane. Like, I, I can't believe they didn't deal him at the deadline just to avoid that twenty-two million dollar cap hold. Um, but I, you know, I think Carter is, he's going to be a fixture. Cole Anthony has been incredibly productive, but I still have a hard time believing that he, they're going to make a long-term commitment to him because they did draft Jalen Suggs in the top five. Um, they have invested a ton of money into Markel Fultz. They invested a lot of money into Jonathan Isaac. Um, yeah, they put a bunch of money in Jonathan Isaac, who hasn't even played this year and will not play this year. Um, but, and I mean, legitimately when Jonathan Isaac, before he got hurt way back in like the bubble was showing like defensive player of the year potential, like completely alter the other team's strategy, defensive versatility. And if he ever had any, even like a three and D offensive game, that would just make him incredibly valuable. But then he spent basically like 18 months on the shelf. So I uh, into Isaac and Fultz who have barely played. They don't have trade value. Like who's going to, who's going to deal for a player like that? Um, who's had that much health problems, but then those guys are kind of in the way of some of their other key pieces that they've invested a lot of resources in, in terms of draft position. Um, Franz Wagner, who we mentioned, like nobody would have met, expected Franz Wagner to be this productive this fast. Like everybody, I think thought, maybe Mo Wagner thought it. <laughs> maybe, maybe Mo thought, yeah, my little brother uh, could be this good. But outside of the Wagner family, nobody would have expected this. Um, like, and I don't think people didn't think they were getting a good piece by drafting him, but they were like, oh, he's going to be a glue guy for his first two years, and then he's going to start, you know, if he if he can produce offensively, he'll do it then. He's basically, like, since a month into the season, just been producing at, at, at least Orlando Magic starter levels all year long. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of pieces in Orlando, and just, like, where does Cole Anthony fit into that? Like he's been incredibly productive and he's because he slipped in the draft, he's going to be on a really reasonable salary, but where does he actually fit in? And I don't know, like gauging his value in a draft next year. I'm not sure that I, I don't know at what point I start seeing him. Okay. That's a value I've got to take because he's going to be making so little and, and has produced so much in his second year in the league that I've got to take him. And at, like, at what point does that start to outstrip 
my gut instinct that Orlando has invested too many resources in guys like Suggs and Fultz and Wagner and all these other guys that maybe Cole Anthony's not a priority for them. I'll, t- I'll tell you what happens to Cole Anthony. The moment the Knicks rectify not drafting him because he's from New York. And his dad was a Nick. His dad was a Nick. My Knicks, they wisen up and take him and they deal for him. He only makes $3.6 million. He's going to shoot up draft boards. He might end up being like a third or fourth round selection, just straight up. Like Cole Anthony, man. Whew. Like imagine like you get rid of Derrick Rose and you get rid of like Fournier. This is just me dreaming. And you finally get a starting point guard for the Knicks that we didn't have for the last 20 plus years. Now, now we got a, we got a stew going. You put some herbs and spices and some bones in that, in that broth. Now you got a stew going. Yeah. So who, who do you think, I mean, you're talking about the magic front office and the Knicks front office. Yeah, I know. Having to collaborate on a deal to get Cole Anthony to New York. Like, um, like who, who does New York have to give up to? I will give you Obi Toppin a first. We can't trade Mitchell Robinson. Um, man. I just Obi anyone, Toppin anyone not a, named RJ or, or quickly. I'll just, whatever, whatever you want. Obi Toppin in a first might be honestly able to get it done. Cause you think about it, like how, how quick is Jonathan Isaac going to come back? Because he'd be the starting four if Bomba leaves and Carter slides over to the center. You got to have kind of an insurance policy. So there's Obi. And why not take a first rounder um, to see what you can do with it? Because again, like I said, Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz have no trade value anywhere in the league given how little they've played and how much they've been hurt. Um, so if Orlando's made this investment in them, they got to at least play them a bit to, to get their trade value back up. So they're going to, they got to find a place for them in their rotation. And you, you're not getting rid of Wagner. You're not getting rid of Suggs. So Obi Toppin at first for Cole Anthony might, I mean, it's too logical. Therefore, it will not happen. <laughs> if Orlando was smart, and that's if is doing a lot of work there too, they could probably even squeeze another pick out of the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks gave up a first for Cam Reddish and played him like five minutes a game for three weeks and then shut Tibbs him down. <laughs> didn't play him. The front office wanted to like. I think there's going to be some sort of a like a real heart to heart where it's like we have a lot of young people who need to play on this team, especially Zion's old Duke friends. Play him, Tibbs, and Tibbs is like, no, I will only play old men who we signed to inflated deals. And it's just like, no, yeah. we need to trust the rookies and like play the young guys. And Tibbs will just be like, no. If you weren't on the 2011 Chicago Bulls, yeah, you get in, get behind the guys you were. How dare you? <laughs> uh, unbelievable. We're, we're going to wrap up with this. Every year there's always a team that is bad and plays people I've never heard of who end up being incredible fines for salary cap leagues and other leagues. One year it was Terrence Davis on the Kings, and then it was like Isaiah Roby and Moses Brown on the Thunder, and then there was a couple of guys like Kenyon Martin Jr. and some other people on the Rockets. It was like the last two years, I want to say. This yeah. year's team is the Blazers, and this year's players are the following names. Drew Eubanks, Trendon Watford, and Brandon Williams. Have you seen the numbers coming out of these dudes? Well, I absolutely have seen the numbers coming out of Drew Eubanks because he's on his fourth 10-day deal and he's on my roster. Um, So I've absolutely seen it coming out of Eubanks. And you could see that coming only because it all comes back to the Spurs. He started the year on the Spurs, and the games that Pirtle missed, he put up like 80% of Pirtle's production. Then he gets traded to Toronto and immediately waived in – um, some, I forget what the deadline deal was that Eubanks to Toronto, but it was, he got waived and he's from Oregon. So he gets signed. He's on his fourth consecutive 10 day contract. So he's, it's insanely cheap to get, to have a 10 day player on your roster. And yeah, I've seen what Eubanks has done. Unfortunately, I've also seen, uh, I missed out on Brandon Williams. I missed out on, um, I got him <laughs> on, Trend, on Trendon Watford. Um, 
I think I was eyeing Trendon Watford and one of the other guys on our way. He took him like two days before I was, I was targeting him. He's been and, on a tear, but he also sustained a bone contusion to his left femur. So he will not be on a tear. And that's probably why Drew Eubanks is getting even more production because, you know, he and Trendon Watford are both front court players. Um, but yeah, I mean, Dame has been shut down like since before the new year. Um, and Anthony Simons is also injured. And like, CJ got traded. Yeah. So, and, and they had, I don't know if they still have him on the roster, but they had Dennis Smith Jr. on the roster. And I'm sure you have some <laughs> strong opinions about Dennis Smith Jr. No, no, I don't. I have no thoughts. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just so funny to me to like, look at like the most added players um, in fantasy and Bruce Brown's up there. Davion Mitchell on your team. Drew Eubanks on your team. Quickly, Bones Highland. Tyus Jones, who's filling in for John Morant. Jose Alvarado, who is a baseball yep. player. I don't know why he's playing basketball on the Pelicans. Uh, Trey Mann. And these Blazers. These Blazers dudes. I just like... Every year, there's always a team, and there are always players, and you're just looking at them, and you're like, "What? Like, how are you putting up these numbers? Like, geez, Louise, it's it's hilarious." And this is always why my fantasy teams always fall apart in the last month of the season because I am not ruthless enough, I guess. With like, I feel like I generally draft well. I, bolt out of the gates and then i get this sense that well my guys are just going to keep producing and they may be producing but these it i mean it's been like this since the the process era sixers with guys like you know robert covington on a rookie deal and jeremy grant on a rookie deal and you know those guys who were just you know running and jacking up threes and just putting up raw production in losing efforts, those like there's players like that every year. And I, I feel like I take too long to add them. And I mean, I'm a little faster than some other guys. Cause I, I did get Eubanks. I did just get Davion Mitchell. Um, I streamed Jose Alvarado for like his one bad game in the last six weeks. <laughs> like I signed him. I was like, okay, well I'll stream him. And then he puts up like eight and a half fantasy points. And then ever since he's been putting up, well over 15 and for as little as he's making that's great value and and he's been over in the he's been in the 20s for at least like a week now so yeah the this is what we call silly season it's really like the last month of the nba regular season when it becomes very clear who the haves and have-nots are and the have-nots start shutting down anybody who was draftable at the beginning of the year and plugging in players that, you know, you may have heard of once, you know, super, you know, basketball geeks like the Jareds and I may have heard of them, but are pretty much anonymous dudes that like, you know, could just as easily be in the G League. And instead, they're starting night in and night out on an NBA roster and getting all the minutes they can handle and putting up incredible production. And they often turn out to be league winners. Like you mentioned Jose Alvarado. You mentioned like two or three guys who are on current leader, JRK, Jared Ross King's roster, um, because he adjusted. He also has the is in the position where he was very conservative with his games played for all the way up till about the trade deadline. And then he's started streaming guys to make up that gap so he can he can have Kyrie Irving on his roster one night and uh, like Vucevic on his roster the next night and just keep going. And he doesn't have to worry about running out of games. And I think that's, uh, that was an admirable strategy on his part. He drafted well, we all knew he was going to have a decent team. Um, but now he's really figured out how to close and, uh, and players like you've mentioned, whether it's the last year's rockets, this year's blazers, the process era Sixers, if you can figure out those teams that are actively tanking and giving minutes to the people that um, in any other part of the year would not be considered deserving NBA minutes, um, 
you can close strong too with, you know, the guys who are still producing that you drafted and, and make this a really interesting final stretch. I really didn't want to bring up the fact that you were in first place, literally from like the, the first day until like recently, I didn't want to get into that uh, at all. So we'll, we'll, maybe we'll bring you on after the season and we can talk about uh, you and, and co-host Jared Ross King, but uh, we're going to wrap up before uh, a fight breaks out. Thank you for joining us, professor John. I know you don't want people to follow you on Twitter, but you can follow me on Twitter at, at Jared Russo and you can follow my co-host who will be back next week at Jared Ross King. I'm sure we'll be tweeting out these episodes. So uh, thank you for listening. If you've gotten all the way through and, uh, and yeah, we will see you next week.